Booking Summer Award Travel for Four on today's Milonomic Squared podcast. Hello, everyone. I'm Sam Simon. And I'm Robert Dwyer. And this is the Milonomic Square podcast, no annual fee edition. If you're not subscribed to the full Milonomic Squared podcast, you're missing out on a deeper dive into topics like the following. We are going to talk award travel. We'll talk more on the earned side on the regular show. Don't you think it's nice to talk about redemption, though? We have to use these points effectively at some point. I agree, Robert. Although I think somehow, randomly, my podcast player got me back 150 episodes ago to our Patreon show, episode 78. Oh, it's a classic. I I was listening to that just the other day. (laughs) It was a random one, but it was pretty much exactly what we're talking about today. So this is a show primarily about the booking that I just put in place. But it, it bigger than that, more broadly applicable than that, it's the current landscape of not just business class and first class award space. I would say it's more general even than that. It's partner award space and the trouble that's happening in that space and the search engine troubles. And so I, I know we're going to talk about all of that on the show today, but it is contingent on me talking about a booking that I put in place and or wanted to put in place. So let's talk a little bit about that. Sound good? Yeah, sounds good. I mean, until you actually go to do award bookings, you really don't know what it's like right now. Even if you have experience from uh, two, three years ago, so much has changed. Uh, 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 the pandemic aside, uh, there so much it has changed every time you go look at it. If you thought there was a pattern you could rely on, you, you do well to double check and make sure that still exists because I've seen so much changes on things that I knew worked before reliably, and they are absolutely different than they ever were. So I love having an example because Without an example, everything sounds great in theory. You don't go as deep as you actually would if you went through all the way to booking something. So I'm glad you have an example to talk about today. Let's get into it. The constraints on this trip, there's four of us, two adults and two children. That's a, that's a hurdle already. We have a very specific number of places that we're interested in, but it's not one place. And I think that that's helpful. And it's a summer trip. And I've been talking about having to put something in place probably since we came back from Japan and we did a no annual fee episode about that trip. Oh, I don't know. It was probably six months or more ago because I couldn't find availability for the four of us in business class. I just kept waiting it out. So there are a few countries on that list. Some countries in Asia, Vietnam, we did want to come back to Japan at some point. Thailand snuck into that list. Then there was Australia, Italy. um, And then as the year went on, Scandinavia, the United Kingdom, All of those places kind of crept in on that list. And so the list originally was a little shorter, I think. And it was helpful that as discussion happened in our family and our conversation about it, decided to say like, well, what about some other places? What about some other places? And and we got a little bit longer list out of it. Summer travel, Robert, the dates are super fixed for us because of school. And, And that's big. I mean, there are a lot of people who don't have kids in school or have kids that are out of school or not yet in school, and that's a completely different dynamic. But that summer travel window, I think that's the first thing I want to talk about, Robert, is dramatically different than the rest of the year. And that's something that I've seen, and I wonder if you've seen that as well. Yeah, people seem to like the longer trip in the summer, meaning, you know, if you've got two months off, then to carve out a two-week trip is much more feasible than any other time of the year. And we've talked before about how even if you don't have kids in school, there is kind of a tendency to take trips in the summer. You know, it's between Labor Day and, uh, you know, Memorial Day and, and people are, are off work and there's a, a big Fourth of July lull in typical corporate America. So 
even if you're not, you know, rapidly taking off the first day when kids get out of school, I think there does t- tend to be a two-week vacation in the summer type of thing more than you see other times a year. So we all travel in packs, and you're uh, you know, getting in line with everybody else from a big metropolitan area, and there's only so many feeder lines that go in each of these directions that you're going. Let me ask you this. Was it helpful having that open slate there? You just kind of point, point in north, south, east, and west there. Did that help you in terms of finding availability, or were some of them just dead ends? before they even started. Some of them were just dead ends. Yeah, definitely. Australia probably, right? (laughs) Yeah, Australia did not shake out the way I thought it would. You know, it's interesting because long ago on the blog, we said we need flexibility in a couple of points, maybe destination or class of service or dates. And I'm sitting here and I'm thinking like, I do have some flexibility in destinations. But Mm -hmm. Robert, I could not pitch premium economy even on this trip. You know, it was like, well, it's our one big trip a year maybe at this point. And let's go for it. And the phrase actually came out of my Player 2's conversations. She said, you always make it work. You'll make it work this time. And I went, but no, but things are different this time. And she was confident. She said, no, you always say that too. You always say they're different and it's not going to work out. And so (laughs) she's really entrenched us into no class of service flexibility. And I know you've had luck pivoting to premium economy and then maybe upgrading that flight later or keeping an eye on things. But I think that that would have helped immensely because there is a lot of premium economy space to some of these destinations. You know, I think you want to book something that is the bare minimum that you would accept that can make the trip happen. Because I, consulting with a friend recently on a trip over from Boston to Italy, you know, you want to get something in place that is good enough that you actually would take it, not just something that would get you there and you'd begrudgingly hop on the airplane and take a crazy three-stop routing to get to Europe that absolutely destroys you before the trip even begins, something that you would realistically take. And everyone's constraints for that are different depending on the trip. You know, maybe going over to Europe, premium economy during the day, not a problem. Long-haul flight, 12, 14 hours, could be a problem, but what if it's direct? A lot of questions about, you know, the concessions that you have to make. Would you split up uh, two people in business, two people in premium economy? Would you take a connection if it it was business class over premium economy? Or what if it was business class and kind of a circuitous routing? What if everybody was in first class and you were flying, you know, maybe more? So there's so many different considerations that could come into play. But uh, you coming from the West Coast, L.A., to... Uh, over to Europe somewhere, that's going to be a really long flight akin to me from the East Coast flying to Asia. And, and it, yeah, that premium economy question, uh, it is a really tough one because is everybody going to be excited about the trip if that's what you have to do? It's better than economy and people have survived the trip uh, and <laughs> live to tell about it even in economy. So it, I guess it matters just how much you want it, how much you want that whole experience to be exactly what you want. So you couldn't get people on board for premium economy. So you're looking for a business class or better for the entire uh, flight and you would take a connection or two if you had to? That's a great question. I mean, yes, uh, everybody wanted to be in the business class cabin or better. I didn't want to reposition. And I also, maybe it's, maybe it's irrational. I want to touch down in the United States back here at Los Angeles. Yeah, I like that too. I've got two kids. I've got luggage. I don't want to get all, I, I see the people that land in LA and have a connection and they just look like beaten up when they have to grab their luggage and then get go to another terminal at LA. And, you know, that's a mess right there. And if I've got to do that in Philadelphia, where I saw some connection options or in, you know, Houston, or I don't know those airports at all. And that those are going to just be pressure points for me. And I'm going to be up against the clock trying to make a connection. Now, I, I ended up having to make a connection. Would I rather make the connection in Europe or would I rather make the connection here? 
I think I'd rather be home in L.A. when that long-haul flight lands. And I do think that's the difference. It's it's not where the connection is. It's where the connection is in the trip. You know, if it was a five-hour flight to Philadelphia and then an eight-hour flight from Philadelphia, those are two really, like, awkwardly timed flights. And when I come back, I've got to connect in Philadelphia and do the whole thing again. So that yeah. somebody listening to this show could say, well, it's really easy for me. I have to – I reposition without any trouble. Or I live in a small – you know, city and I have to reposition. So it's not an issue for me because I just have to do it. Well, I want people to realize too, that you're not just a business class, you're better at all times kind of person. You fly to Hawaii a lot and you have no problem doing economy <laughs> on that. And you, but you're, 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 I think rationally applying a different criteria here. This is going to be a really, really long flight. And like your player too is pointing out this, you want to make it your special summer vacation. So you don't want yeah. to just get there uh, in, you know, youth hostel style on an airplane. You want to get there in in comfort, so you can enjoy the rest of the trip. So um, I can't wait to hear what you put together, because I hope there's a happy ending at the end of this that is getting you over <laughs> there. But the concessions that you bumped into, the oddities that you found, the strange search engines, the <laughs> misfit adventures, I, I'm sure you're going to bump into a lot of stuff along the way here. Well, I, I didn't have a lot of points. And that was one of the other like constraints of this trip. You know, I'm famously a non-hoarder. Now, would you believe I had about 250,000 Alaska miles, maybe 400,000 AA miles, and like nothing else with any other type of airline currency. I do have like large membership reward, large ultimate reward balances, but I'm a believer in transferring those when I need them and not, you know, proactively transferring them and leaving them orphaned or putting me in to a corner with a program. So I have historically thought of buckets of points being useful for different things. And I didn't usually think of AA miles being useful for Europe travel. Yeah. But Robert, would you believe that I found a very nice routing to Europe with AA miles, but it it underscored a much bigger issue in this space. Tell me about it. Out of LAX, there are nonstops to Heathrow that are on British Airways metal, and there are nonstops to Heathrow that are on AA metal. And the difference there, the difference is huge because the difference is with AA, you're going to get a very small additional payment in taxes and fees. And with British Airways, you're going to get a pretty hefty one. So we're talking about something on the order, maybe $400 in fees for the British Airways medal and $20 in fees, let's say, for the AA medal. And I did this search, and I was using points, yeah. Have you used that at all? I just started using it within the past week. There have been so many of, the, of these that have started recently, uh, seats.aero, points, yeah. We used to use Juicy Miles, and that's point.me now. Uh, people talk about Expert Flyer. Every one of these has a little bit of a different yeah, I used Expert on, Flyer on this, too. Yeah. Like, yeah, I mean, it really is for experts. I mean, the interface compared to what you see with, like, a points, yeah, is next level. I mean, <laughs> I think points, yeah, actually, um, my hot take on it is pretty impressive. It seems like a maybe a better version of Juicy Miles, in a, in a sense, but maybe if no one's ever used Juicy Miles, who knows what it is? It, it seems targeted at helping people use their bank points effectively to do a, perform award searches across a lot of different carriers. It, it was helpful for me because my standard move with these flights, these long trips that I want to take, is to look for all the long hauls from my home airport, right? I mean, look at all of them and then search them on the, on the alliance that they fly with. And so LA to Heathrow, okay, I'm going to search for that. And I go on and I search for it and it comes back. Yeah, that's bookable with 60,000 Alaska miles and very low fees, so I knew it was an AA metal flight. I went, wow, that's great. Let me go look at that on AA's site because I have more AA miles than Alaska, and I want to get it with, with those AA miles. Robert, that flight, the exact same flight that was showing as low-level saver availability on Alaska's site, was like 92,000 AA miles and not showing 
at that low level. But what was even weirder was I then started looking in the Scandinavian country area, and when I added on a connection, and this is going to be a theme of the whole show today, when I added on a connection out of Heathrow to Copenhagen or Oslo, the price on AA went down to saver level, and the, the flight disappeared on Alaska's site. So the, <laughs> the, right, the, the issue is, and, and this is calling us back to that episode 72, 150 yeah, yeah, episodes ago, where we said, you know, we've lost partner availability, and these airlines have gone to the dynamic pricing model, and that's not only fragmented the pricing of these flights, but it's fragmented the results you get in each search engine, and it's fragmented the usefulness of the search engines, which is something I don't think we've talked about enough. The, the search engine itself used to be useful. No matter the alliance, you'd actually go, I'm going to see results if I search LA to Heathrow and there is saver availability or low-level availability or low-priced availability, I'll see it. Robert, these search engines are showing no availability because there isn't any availability on a non-married segment, which is like L.A. to Heathrow, Heathrow to Copenhagen, let's say. And, and so it'll just say, nope, I don't have anything. And, but then you've got to like break the trip. And so we've long said, don't just get over the pond. And literally now, if you're only focused on long-haul flights to get over the pond, there are a couple data points in this show where I'll explain why that doesn't even work. Because if your final destination is past Heathrow and all you're searching for is Heathrow, you're never going to find that low-level flight unless you're on a uh, Alaska search engine, which is insane. And is that confusing? That's fascinating. And, and no, it has to be maddening, right? Because I, I was doing searches that were very similar to yours because if I look at getting from Boston over to anywhere in Europe besides the major airport, the first thing I want to do is look at a 30-day window for the availability of that major flight. And if that major flight is only available when I combine it with something else, anything else specific to the destination I'm looking at, I don't know what the married segment logic is in the case that you might be dealing with, but if I have to perform that search to the actual final destination, I don't know if I'm being blocked out because that final segment right. is available, the main segment isn't available, or some combination where they're only available if you book two of them. And I bet the tendency across every alliance, every airline that you're searching is going to be different. So you've got alliances, <laughs> you've got airlines, you've got search engines that purport to kind of go in and peer into all of these. And as you start using them, you see their utility because they make you see things that you hadn't thought of before. But just as much, I, I think, oh, why isn't it finding this? How come it's finding that? And you just start poking holes in the whole theory, and then you start to see how they work. Oh, they're pulling their inventory from this airline, and they're displaying it that way, and they're pulling it. Just, it's just a whole, the whole space is just utterly crazy, and airlines f filing lawsuits against these tools that seem to try to make it easier for us. But it's just a wild, wild west still, and is not converging in any way that's consumer-friendly, and I don't know why that is. I mean, I have theories as to why it is. I think that if you draw a line from dynamic pricing... Dynamic pricing is run by computers, and how many people want to go to Heathrow or how many people want to go to Paris versus how many people want to go to Stockholm or Helsinki or Copenhagen or Venice, that's going to be a smaller group of people. And so just frequency-wise, if the computers are judging the, the demand and pricing based off of that demand, we end up in this situation. But as a human, it's so frustrating, Robert, because... It used to be so nice. You used to piece together the trip and say, all right, I found some space on the long-haul flight, and then let me look at the options from there. But now yeah. you've got to do multiple searches from origin to destination across multiple airlines, across multiple alliances, just to be able to say, I've searched it all. And when it came down to it, Robert, I, I was like, there are only so many routes out of Los Angeles. 
And let me look at paid flights. And they're, they're, I mean, I could buy 10 seats in some of these flights in business class, Robert. You know, I thought the airlines were maybe packed for the Summer Olympics. And people were just like, I'm going to Europe this summer and buying out the cabin with cash. The, the flights I'm seeing, there's 30 empty seats. Just, just, again, I'm judging by the seat map. But I have to assume if I can buy 10 seats and I see 30 seats available, somewhere between yeah. that is the actual cabin. And, you know, in the past we've said, well, that means that they're going to release seats eventually. And I still, I don't know if that's true anymore. And that's one of the things that really made me like, I've got to come up with something in, in this weekend or next weekend and, and lock it down. Because a couple summers ago, I didn't go anywhere because I couldn't get anything going because of the COVID requirements at that time. And I couldn't get anywhere that we wanted to go. And so we ended up, I think, going down to Mexico that summer and it was fine. But I didn't want to get stuck because of something I could have controlled. That was something I couldn't have controlled. But, you know, I, I think there's space and I just don't know. I don't have an assurance that it's going to be released in time for me to plan a trip. It doesn't help me if two weeks before we want to go somewhere, they go, here you go. All the business class and first class seats are available because I've got to put in for time off. My wife has to put in for time. The kid, you know, it doesn't work like that for, for normal people, I would say. I love that because it's something that everyone deals with. They, they want to use their points and miles. They go look about four months out maybe even a year out, and they see there's nothing available, and then there's a potential they could be defeated and not take the trip. And if you have a feel for the trend, the release trend, then you say, okay, I'll book, you know, say premium economy now, and hopefully book business when it opens up later. So not knowing, like right now, for example, if you look at what the, the availability is for the next two weeks, uh, February travel, it might just right. be different than summer travel. So yeah, there's availability for the next two weeks, but when you come, to, uh, you know, June for July or whatever it is, it's not going to be the same pattern. So if you haven't looked at this last year, perform that same exercise, you don't have a feel for how it's going to work this year. And if you did look last year, maybe it's a different pattern this year. So it creates this indecision where something does, doesn't get booked. And what, what a shame it would be if you went your whole life saying, well, I never, I looked very far out every time and there's never any availability, but two weeks before there was yeah. peach availability and you never took the trip because you didn't plan it ahead of time. That'd be a shame, right? So it's a very tricky game we're playing. No, it's super tricky. And if you layer the discussion we just had about uh, dynamic pricing and fragmentation and search engine blind spots, it it's, you start thinking like, I might have missed something. I might have not taken this trip because I didn't do the due diligence and the work that I needed to do to search all the options. And that's what would have happened, Robert, because, you know, options started to come into focus. I started centering in on, on Europe and, 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 you know, I went back to some of the old school stuff I used to do, which is expert flyer. And I know that there's some routes that are like really like not on the radar of everyone, which I think we started having a conversation one Saturday about this air Tahiti Nui flight from LA to Charles mm -hmm. de Gaulle. Right. Mm -hmm. It shows on Expert Flyer that there's space, and AA is a partner and should be able to book it, but it's not showing on AA's search engine. And I don't know if that's because of the new search engine versus the old search engine. And I said, you know what, I'm just going to call and book it. And I call, and the award agent can't see it at all. And there's some data points online about some blocking, and maybe I can ask them to do a, a long sell or whatever it is. And, you know, the, the agents oh, I talked geez. to just had no interest in doing any of that. And I didn't even want to go to Paris. That's just the first part of the puzzle. It's just like, can you even see this? And maybe I could put it on hold and then, and then I got to go look for some other things. But from there, I was like, all right, I got to make something happen. And I saw some, some options on Air France on points, yeah, for like 140000 per person and about 300 in fees. And I think that was on Air France. And I do want to talk a little about Air France because it's a program that I've never, 
ever booked into, but I think you have booked into it, right? Yeah, yeah, I've gotten lucky with it, I would say. You know, some uh, maybe 50000 plus $300 for, I think it was like Boston to Paris to Italy or something like that, at least once or twice. Pretty nice. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I saw that on Points Yeah, which really just piqued my interest. And I, then I went straight to Air France's site and just started like brute force searching things. Like, you know, there's an Ontario to uh, Taipei flight on Air China. And I, I you know, I was like, I, I don't know, let me see if I can find that on some of these days. And those were mostly partner awards that I was looking at because I just assumed I wasn't seeing good stuff on Air France. And Robert, it was such a small thing that was holding me back. I, I was sorting by shortest duration and seeing all these flights to Europe that were like 700,000 Air France flying blue miles instead of sorting by lowest price. And the, the site is so clunky and I don't use it enough. You know, someone's probably like, I'm on there all the time. It's so easy to use. I go into the search bar and I change the thing and I see the calendar. And, you know, as someone who's like a, like a, a occasional user of a lot of these programs, there is a large learning curve on these search engines and something like Points Yeah helps because it at least lets you know, like, you should probably learn how to use the real search engine and, you know, yeah. go in and, and really dig into it. And, and it helped. It really did help. And so what's your experience with that search engine? Well, I mean, logging in to Air France's site in the first place, I feel like I'm going to a French prison before I've even <laughs> completed that. I mean, there's more errors thrown for a successful login than I've ever seen on any website on the Internet. But, yeah, when you finally get there. You want them to text you? They can't text you because by law it's I illegal. know. And three yeah. times I've tried. Like, three times? What? This is my first time visiting your site in years. It's so weird, right? But no, you're right that every website, you don't know what normal is because you've never been there or you haven't been there in some time. And so I just assumed that like my account wasn't working or something like that, but enough mashing on the buttons, you can eventually get in there and do a search. And it's, it's not that bad, I would say. Um, yeah, I've seen some, some big numbers there. It's very volatile. Maybe that's just, maybe like a little bit of a side detour to take. Um, uh, somebody says, you know, I, I want to fly from here to there and I have, you know, I've got 500,000 miles. I feel like I should be able to fly my family over to Europe. And they say, well, if you know, I need to, I can sign up for more credit cards. I'm like, well, what credit cards are you aware of? They're going to give you 700,000 times four worth of miles to be able to fly. Right. So there's this point where everything just goes so vertical that it's just like a joke number for somebody who's just like so many Air France <laughs> miles or whatever it is that nobody's ever yes. going to book it. So we're always looking not just because we're frugal, uh, but because it's the only thing that is defensible, right? It goes from 50,000 to 700,000. I mean, like who, who books that 700,000? I got to know. But it's very hard to find the, the needles in the haystack when you can't maybe on Air France's site sweep a, a week or two very easily. You know, calendar searches become so yeah. important and I, there's not one great thing that you can do it. So it's a lot of brute force searching, a lot of web malfunctions, a lot of false inventory that you're seeing, or maybe you finally see that thing. You, you start to wonder whether it's a real thing. Should I transfer those miles over from whatever program you're going to transfer from? It's terrifying. You're right where I was with this, Robert, because I found some great space, LA to, to Paris, Paris to Oslo, Norway, a very short three-hour layover to one of the days I wanted to leave. And it was, I think it was pricing at like 72000 per person. I think they charged the kids a little less. So it's probably like, uh, you know, average between the four of us. And, and then I'm sitting here looking at it and I go, you know, this is, this is, this is 300,000 Air France flying blue miles. There's no transfer bonus right now from anyone. I'm going to transfer in 300,000 membership rewards. If this is like phantom space or can't book it, I'm in trouble. So I said, well, let me, let me make sure. Let me look at L.A. to, to Paris. L.A. to Paris shows for 700000 per person. And that's that married logic, but they don't tell you that. It makes it look even more suspicious. You're like, why would more flying cost 10% of what less flying costs? Yeah. It makes no sense. And so I'm sitting here like, I don't know the program well enough. 
And I went back to the basics and I said, I'm going to call someone. I, you know, I loved, I listened to Trevor and Tom's show on our podcast network here, uh, Travel Stories. And Tom had a point where he said, like, some of the best things in the world only still exist because you have to call in to do them. And you don't have to call in to book with Air France, but you have to call in to put a hold. Yeah. And I said, I'm just going to call, talk to a human and put a hold. And if I can put a hold and get a record locator number, I'm pretty confident, still not 100% confident, but I'm pretty confident I think then I could transfer in those miles. So I called and, you know, the guy was able to put the hold on pretty, pretty easily. And then I started thinking like, Robert, you know, I'm putting these miles in and, and maybe it is a real flight, but I have no way to get home. <laughs> and so, so I guess it's like a little bit of a discussion about stranding miles because I would transfer these into Flying Blue on the assumption that this date works. And if I can't find a return in about two weeks from that, and I need to push the date forward because I find a return. And I mean, the, the idea of this trip having to work out so perfectly, there's so many moving pieces. I can see why people go, it's not for me. The whole miles and points, not for me. Like you're booking something and you're stranding 300,000 miles and you're just going to wait for a return. And then my wife is saying, like, I need to request days off. What days? I don't know yet. So then I'm back into that two-week situation. I can't just, oh, we'll just take off and we'll just tell the, you know, the immigration in Europe, we're figuring our return out, like, from here. I need something. So then I'm going to, you know, I'm going to be stuck again with orphaned miles. And I don't like orphaning miles. So I was a little bit paralyzed at that point because I didn't want to transfer in. Is is that crazy? Should I have just transferred them in and trusted everything would work out? Well, as someone with a bunch of orphaned miles that I realized yesterday when I was going to book uh, a short-haul AA flight for the next day. And uh, you could theoretically use any one-world carrier for that. And I realized I've got stranded miles over at Qantas. I've got stranded miles at Etihad. Asia miles, JAL, all over the place. But none of them are, uh, you know, half-million-mile kind of bucket there. So it's not that big of a deal. But things happen. And uh, this is probably another thing worth pausing on. People used to love British Airways as such a darling of, you know, transfer your points over there for flying on Americans. It's it's the greatest hack. You know, you can cancel for only $5.60. It's going to be amazing. Uh, in Pokemon, that that's not exactly probably the best uh, advice anymore because American carriers have been become more uh, ready to give an easy refund than foreign carriers. So in this case, I, I don't know what Air France's cancellation policies are. They're probably worse than what Delta is or something like that for an award. So that's another thing I'd be concerned about. Say you wanted to shift the dates a couple days here or there, or you wanted to take a different option altogether. You have to do research into what each foreign carrier's refund policies are you're definitely not getting the miles back to membership rewards but uh how hard is the cancellation policy well it's 50 50 or 50 euros but i don't know if that's per person per ticket per booking um but more concerning to me is not the cancellation of 50 dollars per ticket even it's yeah getting stuck with three thousand dollars worth of membership rewards in air france that i've then gotta make something happen or transfer more points into another program at some point this is real money and at some point, you know, I can make the trip happen, but, you know, I've got airline expiration. I've got to, like, do these miles expire with Air France? I think they do. <laughs> well, that, and that's all a of that we bumped has to into, you know, uh, carriers, foreign carriers, where even with activity in the program, miles expire yes. within three years. So you think, oh, yeah, three years, I've got plenty. Bam, I'm going to fly in there all the time. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there at uh, two years and 11 months. And you're like, oh, man, oh, these things are, th- the check is coming due here. It's happening with me right now with JAL miles. I had no idea that those things expired with activity, but here we are. Yeah, Robert, that's true. And that, you know, that also plays into that premium economy and upgrade to business class idea mm-hmm. because, you know, I could fi- I could have found some premium economy space, let's say on Aeroplan, but then I've got to transfer into Aeroplan 
and that's not the the routing that I really want. So then I'd be like putting them there on like hopes that something better would come and then I'm going to cancel. And the whole thing just starts to, you start to go like, what was the purpose of this trip again? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. I, I wanted to be thinking about narwhals, not about aeroplane miles. <laughs> yeah. The purpose of this trip was go to a country that we either already have loved or is on our list that we want to go to and get there in a comfortable way and not have a bunch of stops and a lot of like ridiculous layovers. And, I, I think that at some point I had to just take a leap. But before that, I got really, really lucky, Robert, in that a return option, like two weeks away from my outgoing that I had, had held for 72 hours, I found that. And, you know, a lot of this really was just me going into a dark hole and spending a few days searching every possibility. And that return option coming up came up on Air France again, as married logic again. And, and priced out even lower than the outgoing. It was like 48000 per person. And so I said, well, okay, I'm, now I'm ready because I can transfer points in for that booking, book it, and know that it's there. I've got the outbound held, and then I won't have any, like, phantom issues or non-ticketing issues, and then I can transfer even more points in and book all of that. And then you've got the airline transfer times. I thought, you know, I don't know how long it takes to transfer Air France miles. What if it takes a couple days? And thankfully it didn't. It was instantaneous. But you and I have talked about things that people say are instant and then are not instant. And it's just another area where this entire thing depends on your knowledge of a program that, again, I have no knowledge of. And that's hard. Yeah. I mean, and what's crazy to me here is that we're both talking about Air France. Uh, in my friend's case, coming back from Italy, Air France was, again, the option in business class. And I don't think Air France has been long known as the ultimate choice for getting to points in Europe beyond Paris. But here we are, and I think a lot of it has to do with one specific thing, and that's Star Alliance availability more than two months out over to Europe is really poor lately. Th- to me, that's the go-to move. Collect United Miles, get over to, mm-hmm. you know, for, for kind of a beginner, right? Get United or Aeroplan, chase ultimate rewards, transfer them over there. You, If you get stuck with United Miles, it's not that scary. Even if you have to pay a little bit more than Aeroplan, it's not that crazy. And cancellation terms now are really nice, right? So if you want to do the move where you bump up to... Lufthansa first class or something like that after booking in a business ticket or, uh, you know, economy up to a business and walk it up that way. That change is free now. It didn't used to be. So I think it's a really nice place to start off with. But I am seeing so little availability in Star Alliance over there. So here we are talking about Air France being the the way to get over there right now. And I don't think that's normal because people probably don't want to pay the uh, taxes and fees. I think it could be a, a perfectly fine redemption. But um, that Star Alliance availability, it's really weird and unfortunate that that's not happening right now. So uh, you were talking about wanting to book something, at least staying in the same program, right? If you can do, say, premium economy, you want to be able to walk it up and stay in the same program because you're going to have a bunch of miles parked there. Uh, but if you want yeah. to flank from, say, if you did Air France premium economy and then Lufthansa business or first opened up and you wanted to flank over there, then you'd be stuck with a bunch of Air, Air France miles. And that happens a lot here. So then you start having this inertia to try to be hell-bent to use these Air France miles on this trip. And if something else better is out there, you're kicking yourself because you booked too soon. So it's that double-edged sword of you know hoping that something's going to come later, but being happy with what you have right now. It's really tricky. That's exactly it, Robert. And so at this point, I think I should just close my eyes and not do any more searches. Because if I found something that was... I, I don't, you know, better or worse or different or, you know, if, then I'm still going to strand these miles with Air France. So I'm in. I'm in at this point. It's a, I mean, it's a significant amount. I mean, I ended up booking the whole thing, Robert, 491,000 membership rewards plus 2,200 in fees round trip. And I think that that those fees sometimes cause people to pause and say, well, I don't, I don't like this. It's not I don't want to do this. It's not free. 
But let's take, uh, for example, that United option you just talked about, mm-hmm. right? That United option would be, what, 80,000 maybe business class one way? Yeah, I think it's up to 88,000 now. Right, and that would be four of us, so 88,000. Uh, that would be 704,000 ultimate rewards transferred to United. Sheesh. And, you know, that's right around where I'm at with this. I'm at 500,000 membership rewards, 2,200 in cash, which I could call that another 20, I could call that another 200,000 membership rewards cashed out with Schwab. And so I'm at 500, uh, 700,000 membership rewards right there. That's not a small amount. I know $2,200 is not a small amount. I'm not here to say that $500 per person in taxes and fees round trip is small. But I, I've long talked about it on the show, Robert. If someone told me, hey, you can buy a ticket round trip, you could buy a ticket to Europe for $550 per person and for, oh, I don't know, another 125,000 miles, you could upgrade it, you'd be like, yeah, I'll do that. That's great. So like the the idea of what are we trying to do here? We're trying to travel. And we're trying to travel in a way that I, I would not pay for the ticket with cash, but I am paying for it with cash in a deeply discounted way. And I'm trading my sanity and routing and, you know, the knowledge that I have to gain. And um, I'm trading points and, you know, the understanding of those points programs and all of that work. That's all work. But at the end of the day, it's a significant discount over a full fare business class price. Yeah, you said earlier that you're not a big points hoarder, and the the balances that you listed were non-zero. I mean, so what, two hundred fifty thousand Alaska miles, four hundred thousand American miles, and a bunch of membership rewards and ultimate rewards. And like you're, as you're pointing out here, at the end of the day, in both directions, for four people in business class, it's a lot of membership rewards transferred over to Air France and. You know, you wish maybe that there would have been a transfer bonus or something like that to take the sting off because how many times yeah. does Air France run a transfer bonus and it's like, oh, we're not doing it provisionally. Uh, we're not doing it provisionally. No, and so now you're right. like, man, if there's a 30% transfer bonus, it would have been too perfect. It rarely works out that way. So that's another dynamic that's working uh, working on you at the same time. But I think you're, what you're pointing out too, though, is that uh, 700,000 membership rewards or you know ultimate rewards, whatever, could have been cashed out for at least $7,000. At least, <laughs> if yeah. not more. So there's, there's always that in the background, right? Where people say that they're, people really do clamp down when there's a cash component to a redemption in a way that if it's just points, they. But it's all it. a cash component. It's all a cash component. You know what I mean? It could it's, be cash. It's all a cash component. It could be cash. And am I okay with $1,900 per person, you know, if I net all those points back out to cash round trip in business class? I'm okay with that. You know, I'm, I'm very much okay. You know, the only nonstop from LA to, to, to Oslo is on Norse Atlantic. And there's no, that's a different world. That's not what I could get anyone on board with. So it might as well not exist. No, at the end of the day, it's uh, hopefully going to be an incredible trip. I'd, I'd, Scandinavia hasn't really been on our list of things that we're talking about on a recurring basis the way maybe Japan or Italy or other, you know, Hawaii, you know, obviously for you. Uh, so I'm really excited for this trip. So it's, it's, it's all booked, both directions, Air France. Two weeks, Air France, bunch of Air France flying blue miles. Hopefully they don't go on strike or any, you know, I don't get stuck with these miles or anything happens along the way. Um, but, you know, we're doing about two weeks in Norway, trying to decide if we're going to shoot over to uh, Sweden or if we're just going to go all around kind of Norway. You know me. I like to be where there's no people. So we're going to try and get out of the major areas as quick as we can. And, you know, there'll be a lot of on-the-ground transit. That seems to be our thing. If you remember our Japan trip, there'll be some trains. There'll probably be some boat or something crazy or a ferry. I don't know what we'll be doing. I'll probably rent a car. Uh, maybe we'll ride some reindeers. Who knows what we're doing over there, Robert? <laughs> I don't know if it comes up on Google Maps as a transportation option, but I'm sure if it's available, <laughs> you'll do it. And I saw some of the places. You know, the the one thing I think that's interesting about that, you know, Scandinavia, having never been there, is just the terrain is different than most other places in the world, and the climate is different, and so the transportation options that they have there are 
you know, needfully different. And so I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. fascinated to hear about about it all. I mean, it is on my list and a place I'd like to visit. I'm sure we'd go about it uh, differently, just in terms of, you know, the parts that we, I'd probably stay more in the cities. I mean, some of the remote places up there look like I might have to get involved in catching a salmon and eating it raw or something like that. But <laughs> I'm sure you'll tell me all about it. <laughs> my wife does a lot of the research, right? And I just overheard her watching a video and the lady went, I'm going to tell you about the best places you can go to in Norway where you don't need a rifle. <laughs> and I went, I go, that's got to be like a translation thing. You know, she probably means a rifle like how, you know, they call cotton candy something else in, in England. <laughs> I, I, I go, you got my interest. She goes, now, when you go too far north into the Arctic Circle, most people will tell you you need a rifle for polar bears to scare them away or potentially protect yourself. And I went, what are we getting into here? And I, I don't think we're going to be anywhere near that type of an adventure, but it, it is that kind of area. It's a wild, you know, there's, there's a whole different set of constraints that I've got to deal with there. And I've got two little kids. And, but, yeah, there's stuff that I really do want to see. I mean, the, I want to see the sun never set. I think that's really cool. I'd, I'd like to get to the Arctic Circle and jump in the ocean there. I think that'd be a fun beach to visit. I like my beaches. And that'd be a different kind of beach. <laughs> I, I mean, the, what you just walked through here, and we went through it pretty quickly, it, it was an adventure in itself trying to piece this booking together. Oh, yeah. I'm sure there were yeah. a lot of times. There's one more thing to mention on that. I would be, like, searching for hours. And I wake up the next morning, I'd have like clarity in my execution, yes. right? So sometimes it's good to just take a break because, hey, every day there's a new adventure. Something might have opened up. Some some new thing might be there, but more importantly, your mind had cleared. So hopefully with this booking in place now, your mind is cleared to go look at the adventure of actually taking the trip to a, an exotic foreign land. I, I'm thinking that this is really cool compared to something we do for comfort, something that's really reliably re, rejuvenating for our family. I think this is a this is a big time adventure. I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. Thanks, Robert. And you know, I'm I'm left as you're mentioning that because it's so true. You know, you, you bang your head on something so long and you got to just walk away after a while. And then when you walk away, you go, you know what? I never thought about. And then you have that clarity. But it, it's what my wife said. She says, you know, you always make something happen. I think it's true. Like with enough flexibility, I mean, go back to like basic myelonomics here. With enough flexibility in destination and cabin and dates, you can still make something happen for this summer. It might not be the exact thing that you want, but it'll be something that'll be better than sitting at home watching TV all summer. That's for sure. And and it's a reminder too, Robert, that I can't let things like winter break or next spring break get away from me. So I got to really polish off the demand schedule and start booking early and start rebuilding some of these point balances that I need as well. I love it. Are you ready to close it out? Let's do it. Thanks for joining us this week. For a more in-depth discussion about points and miles, visit us at patreon.com slash malonomics. There you'll get a special link to listen to additional content right in your mobile podcast app or on your computer, where we speak more freely about topics like these. And as always, you can reach us on, I'm just going to say Twitter. You can reach us on Twitter. I'm at Milenomics and Robert's at Robert Dwyer. Love to hear from you. Till then, we'll see you on the site. 